Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. Uh, Drew, you and Katie doing anything special for the holiday? No, I think we're just planning to catch up on sleep and we'll, we'll exchange presents on, on Christmas morning. But, you know, I was reading the um, <laughs> the symptoms of Omicron and it's like headache, fatigue. And it's like, oh, I've been suffering through this for the last 18 months. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with this new information. So we'll probably be regularly testing ourselves as well. Yeah. <laughs> One of the nicer things about living in a state like New Hampshire, because there's so few of us out in the woods here, Nancy sent off for the home tests, and two of them showed up at the, here at the house, and we, we actually did them last week on the heels of, you know, well, I went down to New York for the inspiring Walt Disney thing at the Met, and she did Christmas Con over in New Jersey, and we followed the instructions, we did the first test, then waited 36 hours, did the second test, and all we got were thin blue lines. So it's like, oh, cool. So we're good to go into the holidays. But just tonight they were talking about it. It's the fastest spreading variant. And it's just sort of like, I don't like this rerun. You know, I mean, we didn't we just yeah. do this? So Yeah. I, I mean, somebody said that they wished that Netflix was overseeing the quarantine, the uh, pandemic, because they always cancel things in less than three seasons. But <laughs> now, you know, now we've got this. Oh, that's, that is great. Yeah. That is great. Okay. So you're going to do quiet at home, catch up on rest. Uh, Nancy and I are going to be shuttling back and forth between my mom's place and her sister's place. I'm baking two enormous lasagnas and a slew of mini pizzas, which will then serve as the main course and the appetizer for a traveling holiday party. That sounds great, Jim. I kind of wish I was back east because I would make you make me a third lasagna. That's how good that sounds to me. But Katie has her issues, right? Yeah, she is celiac. So I'm sure we have some listeners who can uh, who can sympathize with the lack of gluten. But she actually makes me a pretty killer lasagna whenever she goes out of town. So I, I cannot, you know, she's totally selfless. And okay. makes makes one that she cannot eat, but you know I would love okay. I would love well, to hear well, have no, no, a hill no. a hill well, specific. Well, uh, tell you what, the next time I'm I'm out in California, in fact, uh, maybe one of those nights we can go to Shay Taylor, and uh, I will do my homework about. There's got to be a celiac friendly version. Yeah, of you can get like gluten free noodles and stuff, but who knows? Okay, who okay. knows if those no, no, are no. any good? That's what. That's all I'm no, saying. No, no, no. It's a plan. We'll do okay. that. Okay. Also, uh, Christmas Eve, I'm hoping to spend some time in front of the tube because ABC is running back-to-back that night, starting at 8. They're doing Olaf's Frozen Adventure with our pal Josh Gad. Oh, then they're doing Shrek the Halls and then Prep and Landing and Prep and Landing sequel, Naughty versus Nice, in one two-hour block. So a lot of good holiday animation in there. But, of course, Shrek the Halls makes me think about... Oh, I'm not going to get down to Universal Studios Florida in time to say goodbye to Shrek 4D, which opened back in May of 2003 and is closing for good January 10th of next year. Did you see that Universal is actually doing so long merch for this thing, for the closing? I saw that. I I was impressed because usually they don't. Well, you know, up until a couple of years ago, Disney didn't even do the kind of going away uh, merchandise. So, yeah, it was interesting to see. That's the thing. I think Disney has since learned that the 
I guess the it's a wrap shirt for uh, the great movie ride sold so well. It's like, okay, we can afford to be nostalgic now. But yeah, if you go to Shrek's Ye Old Souvenir Shop, which is in the exit of uh, Shrek 4D, they're now selling souvenirs that are emblazoned with the, the fact that the ride is going far, far away in three weeks' time. I think this is the most widespread attraction film maybe ever? You had mentioned that, yeah. It's not just at the Universal Parks, didn't it? It up, it up at one of the the Warner Parks? Or, uh, yeah, Movie World. Yeah. And I think it's on netflix right now it's under a different name but um yeah don't worry if you if you really you won't have the pre-show but you know you can watch this thing whenever i still remember going to see sinbad legend of the seven seas is that what that was called yeah sind sindbad (laughs) sindbad but the interesting thing is when you won an opening the opening weekend and you bought your ticket they actually handed you a cd but it wasn't like the animated version of uh, Shrek 4D. It was, you know, sort of the storybook version. <laughs> so you, you went home and threw it into your computer and it's like, oh, so this is a still from the film. And this is a still from the film. But Wow. Yeah. Kind of an interesting way to keep the franchise going. Anyway, it closes in three weeks' times. And speaking of weeks, it's time to get to this week's news. And the news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, Trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. A sad bit of news broke last week, Drew. Veteran cleanup artist Vera Pacheco died of pancreatic cancer back on December 11th. I saw that. She was in the white-hot center of a lot of animation history. She starts a career at Hanna-Barbera. But Disney hires her in the, the late 1970s, so she starts as an in-between to the studio on Pete's Dragon and eventually becomes a cleanup artist on Small One, Disney's holiday theme feature. Did you ever try to get anything going for its, its Small One? No, I mean, I, I've done some writing about Small One in the last year or so, and I, I think it's a really beautifully animated movie, but it, it's also sort of problematic in some of the kind of depictions of, of I was going to yeah, ask so you I, about, I sort of about I knew maybe to stay away from that mm-hmm. one a little bit, but I thought it was really it's a really interesting movie. It's on it's on Disney Plus without any kind of warning, so you can go really? and look at yeah. There is no kind of sensitivity stuff, but that's so weird yeah. when you consider what's in front of Dumbo and what's in front of the Aristocats. I mean. The peddlers in the marketplace. That's what we're talking about, right? Yes, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Okay. Well, she works on, um, it's a small one again, uh, from 78, but her initial claim to fame is that comes in September of 79 when she joins Don Bluth and 12 other artists and animators who, who walk out the door of the mouse house to start their own animation studios. And she works on Bluth's holiday featurette, Banjo the Woodpile Cat. Right. Followed by Secret Nim, American Tale, and and Land Before Time. And she supervises the cleaner department for those last three features. And Pachinko also worked on Dragon Slayer and was even the original voice of Princess Daphne. And then after a stint at Blue, she returns to Disney, uh, first working on Who Framed Roger Rabbit in London, then returning to California, where she worked on the, the animated features that really launched Disney's second Golden Age, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. And when 
Disney had its flirtation with getting back in the hand-drawn animation business in the late 2000s with Princess and the Frog and the, the Winnie the Pooh feature. Machika was one of the very first people that the company called. And speaking of hand-drawn, did you see that announcement this past week about Disney's the 2D hand-drawn trainee program? Yeah. Should I should I um, sign up? I need to make some money, you know, working for <laughs> Eric Goldberg. So <laughs> I have to admit, being in the room all day long with Eric Goldberg would be great. Yes. You know, just for the stories alone. But 12-month program offering training across character animation, effects animation, and cleanup under the mentorship, as you mentioned, of Eric Goldberg and uh, but also Mark Henn and Randy Paycock and Rachel Bibb. Deadline for applications on that is January 23rd of next year. So I think they actually have a dedicated website for this thing, too. Okay, I'm sorry, Weaver. We're talking about Vera. (laughs) Beloved personality, more to the point, was acclaimed for her skills in a part of the animation process that very few people outside of the industry understand cleanup. And Drew and I offer our our sincerest condolences to Vera's friends and family for their loss. So... Anyway, we, we go from losses to potential winners. So the any nominations came out today. What are our thoughts about what happened there? I mean, it looked pretty standard from what mm. I could see. Um, you know, they, they break it down into independent and studio movies. So mm-hmm. they spread the, the wealth around. I mean, I was happy to see, like, Amphibia was nominated for True Colors. I thought that episode was great. The movie stuff was pretty much what you'd expect, I think. Although I would have maybe put Vivo in there instead of Sing 2. Maybe that would have been my my one change on the feature side of things. But, mm-hmm. you know, I love seeing Bell get nominated and um, just a whole bunch of great I mean, this this year was so great in it for animation, and and I also love that the cross dressing Gonzo episode that got people so riled up was nominated. <laughs> yeah, that's what I love about the Annies is they they genuinely try. If you drill down into all the categories, I mean, the Gonzarella was was that the name yep. of the episode? Yeah, where he wears his ball gown, and his friends are like, "Oh, cool." It's just so funny that the reaction to the episode was the exact opposite of what happened on the episode. Right. So Disney comes out on top with 10 nominations for Rey and the Last Dragon and nine for Encanto. Of the 10 nominations that Rey got, it didn't get a nomination for direction. Carlos Lopez Estrada and Don Hall were kind of left out in the cold there. So I wonder what that says about that film's chances. Yeah, I wonder if it's just going to come come down to Encanto versus Luca versus Mitchell's versus the Machines. I think that is mm. going to be the three-way slugfest for the best I, animated I, feature Oscar. But who knows? But at the same time, you were just talking about Vivo. And it, it for me, it is kind of interesting to, to have Lin-Manuel Miranda competing against himself in the best music category because he's nominated there for his work in Encanto and likewise Vivo. And I'd really like to see this guy get recognized for that, but not necessarily blow himself out. And, you know, I I have to say I wasn't all that surprised by any of the voice acting nominations. I mean, Stephanie Beatrice for Mirabelle, uh, John Leguizamo for Bruno, uh, Kelly Marie Tran for Rhea, 
Jack Dylan Grazer for Alberto and Luca, and of course uh, Abby Jackson's uh, Jacobson, excuse me, for Katie and Mitchell versus the Machine. I'd really kind of like to see her take it because that was a that was a great performance. But at the same time, so was Jack Dylan Grazer for Alberto. Yeah, the Annies tend to be the canary in the coal mine when it comes to whatever wins the Annie for Best Animated Feature. Out of the, the last five years, the, the winner four times, the Annie winner for Best Animated Feature also won for Oscar. And the Annies are going to be presented on February 26th. And then one month later, the Academy Awards will be presented on March 27th at the Dolby Theater. Speaking of the Academy Awards, though, the day that the Annies announced their awards, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences releases its shortlist for 10 categories. And the two I think that would most interest fine-tuning listeners are obviously the animated short and visual effects. Now, how many of these the shorts have you seen? Well, we've seen Robin Robin. <laughs> we've right? seen Us Again. You know what I thought was interesting was that Far From the Tree wasn't shortlisted. Yeah, I have to admit that was kind of a surprise, which I don't think is necessarily fair to Natalie and the team there. But yeah, the problem is when you're a studio and it's just sort of like, okay, what do we put out there? What's our, our, we're playing to our strengths. Right. Us again is, is a stunner where Far From the Tree is sweet and gentle and I don't know if it necessarily had enough flash for award season or right. what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I, I love uh, Far From the Tree. I actually did Q&As for the Animation Guild a couple of weeks ago. For I did one one night for Far From the Tree and the next night I did one for Us Again. And it was just so great to talk to all of those filmmakers oh, and to celebrate celebrate oh. films that are so different, too. You know, like these are yeah. they're they're just they're really wonderful, and there is so much heart and passion put into both of them. Mm-hmm. So I would have liked to have seen them both acknowledged, but I also understand, you know. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, The Night for Far From the Tree? Because, again, both of these films have the same sort of handicap. They're, they're completely dialogue-less. Yes. Whereas one, you're telling a story entirely with animals. The other, you're doing a lot of it through choreography. Yeah. Both films have great messages that come through loud and clear. How did Natalie talk about the whole thing of Far From the Tree is is a story about parenting and not necessarily, you know, being a good parent, but not necessarily following in your parents' shoes? And if you look at Natalie's Twitter as well, you mm-hmm. can see there's a lot of people that bring up this this phenomenon of sort of mm-hmm. intergenerational trauma, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that she wanted to have a make a fun movie that resonated with people. But I think she was very surprised by the reaction and just how much it meant to people, which is Mm -hmm. just huge. So I think that Far From the Tree will actually be on Disney Plus on Friday, Mm -hmm. along with Encanto. So people who are listening to this haven't seen it. Please watch it. It's beautiful. And obviously she talked a lot about the process of designing that movie with the kind of 2D-ish look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it has its own unique style and look and amazing sound bed and all that. It would have been nice for this to get some recognition, but... Yes. Well, obviously, I think she is, like, a huge talent and someone <laughs> who we will 
we will be seeing from again sooner rather than there later. There we go. Right. All right. Now to pivot to visual effects for a moment, which a lot of animation goes on there. In fact, I think we were just talking on the last show, albeit briefly, about your wonderful piece for the wrap about how they brought Harold Ramis back for oh, yeah. uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. And yeah. here it is right in the pile there. But at this point, you've managed to see all of these, including Matrix Resurrections, which you seem very enthusiastic about. But yes, do you really have to do your homework? Is it kind of essential to catch the first three Matrixes? Or well, I think if you've never seen them, yes. I mean, they're all on okay. HBO Max. This one is very self-referential. There's a lot of callbacks, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think your enjoyment would be enhanced greatly. But this one is really awesome, and it, it'll be a fun one to wa- everybody to watch mm-hmm. on HBO Max over the holiday. But. Yeah, the, these nominations were, I mean, we, we're seeing all the big heavy hitter effects houses mm-hmm. in these things, right? Well, speaking of which, Nancy and I just went today, caught a matinee of a Spider-Man No Way Home, and of course, stayed through the credits to get to see the, the mid-credit, the end credit scene. I so enjoy the names now of visual effects houses. Did you see the one? There was one in there that was Crafty Apes, and then there was Mr. X. But yeah, I mean, just the the fact when you watch the end credits for one of these things, and you see the 12 or 15 different effects houses who are all handling different aspects of these movies. When you think about the myriad of non-disclosure forms that had to be signed to get to work on these films, but all of these houses had to be basically working on the same things between how many Marvel movies are we looking at here? We got Black Widow, we got Eternals, we got Shang-Chi, in addition to Spider-Man No Way Home. So at least four yeah. of the 12 here are, are Marvels. Listen, it helps that Victoria Alonso has a background in visual effects. Let's say that. I mean, the the pipeline that these things must go through in terms of sharing assets and obviously now jumping on a thousand Zoom calls, it is not mm-hmm. something that I... Envy, but I, I mean, the results speak for themselves. None of these movies mm-hmm. that came out this year missed a beat in terms of mm-hmm. visual effects in all the houses, whether it's MPC or Scanline or ILM. DNAG did a great work this year. I mean, they've they've just outdone themselves. Think about what happened with Rhythm and Hughes. Yeah, yeah. You can work on the biggest film, the biggest box office success, and you can still go under. Yeah. It's such a strange business that you can deliver effects that people talk about for years afterwards. But you still have to be able to pay the bills. Yeah. So if you were a betting man at this point and we're looking at visual effects for this year, who do you think is going to take it? I don't. I think Dune might have the edge. I mean, we don't even know what the shortlist is going to be, so we'll see if that mm-hmm. even makes it. But I think they, they sometimes really like to go with the more kind of subtle effects. And obviously Dune mm-hmm. has this element of spectacle, but it's a prestige movie at heart done by a filmmaker mm-hmm. that the entire Academy doors so i i think dune has the edge just in that regard my personal favorite was godzilla versus kong because i just thought that movie was a total blast and the character animation yeah i thought the the character animation on kong was really special and i love character animation as much as i i also love you know falling cities and black widow or whatever (laughs) whatever else is going on no time to die a lot of great missile work in that one but you know i i love a good some good character animation and Godzilla and Ghostbusters had that in spades. So yeah. 
Killer. Okay. So those are the nominations uh, heading into 2022, the Academy Awards. And in a moment, uh, Drew and I are, are going to take both a look back and a, a quick look ahead. As I mentioned just a moment ago, Nancy and I went out today to see a matinee of, of Spider-Man No Way Home. And one of the reasons we picked that is we were looking to see it in an empty theater because, you know, Omicron, like everybody else, has a slightly freaked out. Oh, by the way, have you managed to get Katie in to see it yet? Or? No, we haven't gone yet. We're kind of, yeah, we are also looking to mm-hmm. see it when it's not crowded. But as I, I said, la- I think I said this on the show last week, they were playing it almost 24 hours a day in L.A. And, and you know, the 2 a.m. show was still mm-hmm. full. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to just wait until until no, the no, heat get gets the- off, you know. <laughs> I'm sure you saw the same stories. This past weekend, where theaters were literally doing things like canceling screenings of Nightmare Alley to free up, you know, additional screens for uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. That sucks. It does. It does. But I was just reading a piece in the trades today about theaters are thrilled with the business that Spider-Man No Way Home is doing because it's literally been since before March of 2020. Since we had a hit of this size, you know, in fact, it actually outdid Infinity War box office price, right? Two, yeah, 260 yeah. domestic. So theaters have been waiting for two plus years for a movie of this size again. So that they're thrilled. But at the same time, if you're, we were just talking about Sing 2 and, you know, how <laughs> they so carefully picked out this time, you know, heading into the holiday week, which is a time normally that a, a, a family film would do great, but Spider-Man No Way Home is blotting out the sun. And the fear is, could this very same thing happen this coming weekend? Because Sing 2 actually opens tomorrow. It's opens theaters, right? tomorrow, the, yeah. yeah. The 22nd. You know, the whole notion of we need theaters for Spider-Man, so cut back the number of shows for Sing 2. I, I hate to say it, I think it's far more likely that Nightmare Alley, again, will get marginalized, but... Yeah, I mean, Nightmare Alley is amazing, and everybody should watch it. But it, it, they mm. they they also put out an announcement that they were going to do an exclusive black and white run starting on January sixteenth. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, God, is it even going to last that long, or is Disney mm. just going to buy the theaters? I mean, it's also very interesting that Kingsman comes out tomorrow, which mm. is like setting up a little table with doilies and teacups in front of the runaway locomotive that's heading down the track. So I don't, I don't really know how, what they were thinking there. It's sort of, I don't, if this is an important franchise, putting it out a week after Spider-Man is, was not the move less than a week after Spider-Man, not the move. So yeah, it's, it's sad that these smaller films are getting pushed out of the way, but the theaters just need people in them so desperately that I, it's hard to kind of knock that aspect of it too. No, 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 I get it. Uh, same thing here. But, you know, we're at the theater today and walked in past the standee for Turning Red, which at a March 11th release from Pixar. And the teaser poster for Lightyear was up, you know, at various places inside the theater. And, and again, that's Pixar June 17th of next year. And Drew and I, while we're looking ahead to, to 2022, also want to take a moment to look back at 2021. Must we? <laughs> well, you know, to, to face it, some very interesting things happen. Like, for example, you you wanted to talk about how we had Pixar features go straight to Disney Plus, uh, two of them in a row. Yeah. In fact, it's kind of interesting for Encanto 
to be showing up on Disney Plus as the Christmas present because that's yep. what they did with Soul last year, right? Yeah, I mean, it's almost, yeah, it's almost a year since Soul. But what's interesting, though, is Soul, at least in the Disney parks, is getting some representation. I mean, for example, if you watch Enchantment, the new castle projection fireworks show at the Magic uh-huh. Kingdom, Joe's represented along with Tina Fey's character. Likewise, we have the the gold statue of Joe as part of the, the 50th anniversary icon over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. But you were mentioning that to have both Soul and Luca wind up on Disney Plus wasn't necessarily a, a particularly popular choice at Pixar? Or? Yeah, I mean, we got those stories about people being somewhat disgruntled. But at the same time, I feel like, especially with the uncertainty of, of modern day life, that your work is probably seen by tens of millions more people than would have Mm -hmm. normally seen it. Especially because there is kind of a weird stigma about going to an animated kids movie if you're an adult. Mm -hmm. And I feel like putting it on Disney Plus, nobody knows. I mean, Disney knows. But Mm -hmm. I would love to see what the numbers are for Encanto at home versus what it made in theaters and just how much that's factored into whether or not there's an Encanto 2 or Mm -hmm. whether or not there's a theme park attraction or you know those kind of decisions so interesting you bring it up because my nieces have been talking up Encanto endlessly to my mom and getting her out to a theater in this era is damn near impossible so she's thrilled that Encanto is is showing up on Disney Plus on Christmas uh, Christmas Eve Christmas Day I forget which uh, you know and she's very much looking forward to watching it with her granddaughters at home but at the same time, you were mentioning about the stigma of adults not necessarily wanting to go to an animated film, whereas Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse did huge business, and a lot of a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily go out for Encanto definitely went to theaters to catch that film, you know, yeah. which took home the Academy Award. But that's Sony Pictures Animation, and as you yeah. pointed out, you know, here they are, they're breaking new ground again, and we just got that amazing teaser trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, which uh, arrives in theaters uh, October 7th of next year. What else are you hearing about the other stuff they've got in the works over there? Well, you know, I feel like they're, we, you and I have seen Hotel Transylvania uh, mm-hmm. 4, which is coming out in January. So yep. I think it's interesting that they're doing those kind of more traditional things like that alongside the more experimental stuff like Mitchell's versus the machines and Spider-Man across mm-hmm. the Spider-Verse, which by the way, did you get your Mitchell's Blu-ray yet, Jim? I have not. Okay. I have not. But, but again, we have one last you know, dash out to do, do holiday shopping. Right. And when Nancy's not looking, I'm sliding it into the, the, the cart for right. me. Right. You know, you have to be altruistic up into a point. It's right. Like, this one's for me. But I, I feel like the Sony, the bigger impact that Sony has had, maybe, is that they have kind of introduced this style in Spider-Man that is being adopted by other productions like Mitchell's versus the Machines and other studios like mm-hmm. the Bad Guys trailer that we saw last week. Oh, that was so still, amazing. April twenty second, can't get here soon. Right. Can't wait to see that. But I mean, that's a pretty breakthrough. You know, the the whole idea of of sort of making a movie look as good as the art of book is a new Mm -hmm. kind of experience and something that I hope is adopted by 
one of the bigger studios. But even even Luca, I feel like, is such a stylistic departure. And we've seen some of turning red in the promotional materials look so different than any other Pixar movie. It's just a really mm-hmm. interesting time. And I think that Sony doesn't get enough credit for kind of destabilizing the quote-unquote look of a traditional big-budget studio animated feature. All excellent points. But again, it, it, it's kind of ironic to, to have us singing the praises of, of Sony Pictures Animation when we should also acknowledge that this past year we lost a giant studio. Yeah, We lost Blue Sky. That closed for good in April, and they were inches away from completing another anime feature, which I'm yep. blanking the name of. Nimona, right? Nimona, yes. And yet, the teaser trailer that's out there for the Ice Age Adventures Ugh. of Buck Wild, which is coming to Disney Plus on January 28th, and it just sort of like, it looks so bad. Yeah. Did you see what happened when Disney tried to start walking the Ice Age characters out via social media as, as our IP Yes, now? yeah. Oh, my God, they got torched. And honestly, deservedly so. I still don't get the point of shutting down that animation studio. Yeah. It brings us to our next item, you know, to the effect of, given that Disney has Disney Plus now, this subscription streaming service, which has this unending appetite wouldn't it have made sense to keep Blue Sky up and running? I mean, hell, we were just talking about 15 minutes ago on the show about Disney accepting applications for its 12-month hand-drawn program. It's like you're starting up a, a new initiative at Disney Studios, but you had a studio. You had an amazing studio in Connecticut that made great films. Yeah. And you shut it down. Yeah. Are you guys even talking to one another, especially when you look at what's going on with Netflix, which has become this genuine powerhouse with animated features? In fact, to circle back to the Annie's thing, we were just talking about earlier tonight, 51 nominations. Yep. Did you see how many Maya and the Three got? Deservedly so. I mean, that is no, a, no, no. a masterpiece. Oh, no, no, absolutely. But best TV video, uh, media for children, best direction, best writing, best character design, best production design, best music, best effects. And what's interesting about the Netflix, they outsource so much of the animation that it's not one of a thing. It's not a thing like DreamWorks. Do you remember when DreamWorks sort of got in trouble for kind of stacking the books? They made every single employee become a member. I know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. So this yeah. is this is actually people who aren't working at Netflix who are mm-hmm. acknowledging Netflix as the top of the heap. And even I I now I'm doing this weekly newsletter for the rap, and there is a mm-hmm. 80 minute long Hilda movie coming out on December 30th, which I didn't even know existed until are earlier you this week. Kidding me? Yes, it's wow. called Hilda it's- and the Mountain King. It's a feature length film. With animation mm-hmm. by Mercury Filmworks, who mm-hmm. they do such beautiful work on the show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I and I loved seeing that Troll Hunters: Rise of the Titans got a bunch of Annie nominations too. Also true. Yeah, it's nice to see people who are doing great work getting recognition for this. But but at the same time, if if you're a Disney, you got to be looking over your shoulder at what's going on at Netflix. But you know, there's a lot of other stuff that's going on in the industry. That's very interesting. I mean, you were just talking about leading the, those two panels for the Animation Guild for uh, Far From the Tree and Us Again. 
but face it, the Animation Guild's been doing some very interesting stuff this fall. You know, that, that they were getting ready to strike, weren't they? They were... Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was fascinating for me was to see the main issue, and it was largely about the fact that if you look at what animation writers are paid versus television writers, or film writers for that matter, and when you compare the box office of what you know these animated projects are making sometimes compared to, to live action and that sort of thing, that was an interesting thing to be sort of focusing in on. But I guess the big story there was they sort of kicked the can on those negotiations, right? Yeah. They paused them, and I guess they're going to continue again in the late winter or spring? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they decided to to call off the negotiations. But hopefully this will allow them to really build up steam and really come back and get the things that they deserve. Because it is really insane how little paid they are in comparison to live action things and how... The residuals work differently, aka not at all on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very interested to see how that plays out. Which brings me to my next question. How much of that decision do you think was impacted by the fact that we've had a number of films this year that were planned to be theatrical that then did either the limited theatrical release and streamed on various platforms or just went straight to streaming? Right. Do you feel like that that changed the calculus that, you know, it's such an uncertain time that was that one of the reasons the guild wanted to pull back for a bit or? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think one of the reasons was to let people finish their work for the year Mm -hmm. uh, because Mm -hmm. this is such an an intensive time. And like you said, like Spider-Man No Way Home came in under Mm -hmm. the wire, Mm -hmm. you know, animating that stuff. And and those are the Mm -hmm. same, same people doing all of this. So, yeah, I, I think it was mainly to let people just finish the finish working for the year. But I would rather them get their get their sweet sweet benefits before, you know, sooner rather than later. But I just I'm I'm I feel like something's got to change. This is such an antiquated notion that writing a cartoon is any different than writing a sitcom. I mean, what what is the difference? If anything, the, the animation writer is doing more, especially if they're doing boards. So anyway, I, I'm i very passionate about this, Jim. No, 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 no. I, I get that. And as you should be. I mean, that's the other thing. If you honestly look at just Spider-Man No Way Home, how much of that is animated? All right. Two hours and 28 minutes long. I would bet you there's more than a full normal animated feature's worth of if you took everything in that film. That was CG and backgrounds, you know, the like. That's a full features worth of animation right there, in addition to yeah. all the live action performers. Yeah. But again, you know, just no, that's live action. As far as, you know, the guys in the corner office are concerned, that's a live action film. It's been making me crazy for years now. I would largely say that if, if we take a moment, you were just talking about, you know, Hilda and the Mountain King coming on, on Netflix. If we look at, Disney Plus, with its animated stuff, I mean, there were some obvious home runs, you know, Doug Days and Marvel What If, but there were also some misfire things. I mean, you and I love Eric Goldberg. We really do. But the goofy how-to binge and how-to put on a mask, and that was disappointing. When you compare that to, you know, something like the Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse shorts. Yeah. The double size films where you get Bill Farmer also doing the voice of Goofy and doing just absolutely 
brilliant work. Well, I think how we're going to look at this year versus how we're going to look at years to come is that mm-hmm. they're still trying to figure out how to put these things in the pipeline alongside everything else. Whereas in the future and with the opening of like the Walt Disney Animation Studios Canada campus, they're yeah. actually going to be able to produce substantially more minutes of stuff alongside the theatrical obligations. So okay. I thought Doug Days was one of the best things this year. No, no, no. Um, I, and I, that I, was... You know, that was obvious. That was, uh, yeah, I don't know how much, 45 minutes of animation total or something. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the difference is like we're going to actually get sort of substantial material that isn't just something that maybe could have been on the special features of the DVD. Not to belabor the obvious, but you're opening a brand new studio in Canada when you had a lovely studio in Connecticut. I know, I know. Anyway, final note here, folks. We got our very first thing out of Skydance animation. We got Blush, uh, the short, which, I, again, I was kind of surprised to see that didn't make the short list. But I guess, yeah. had that been released theatrically? or I, know, don't, did, I don't know. No, I don't think so. It probably would have been on Rumble had they released it this year. But, yeah, I mean, Blush was great. And and bl- the campaigning for Blush, oh, my God. It was out here, <laughs> like, you know, full-page variety yeah, ads and stuff like that so i know but skydance animation we've got their first two features coming over the hill we've yep. got luck and spellbound both headed to apple tv plus yeah i was just talking to alan minkin earlier today and he was talking you know he was like i'm working on spellbound and of his Ooh. 800 projects <laughs> in the works right now that wow. man does not okay. sleep but yeah he's he's hard at work on spellbound so that's killer yeah Did- do you get a sense of when either of those two are headed to the marketplace? I think they're both next year, actually. Wow. Yeah, I can look and see if they're if they've set a date, but okay. at least one of, was... at least one of them is next year, I think. But okay. uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if if uh, Lasseter still got it. I'm intrigued to see how that story plays out. Here we go, Jim. Luck is actually February 18th. So how we have not seen anything from Luck is a little unnerving. And then Spellbound is November 11th. So Spellbound's going up against... Yeah, both 2022. So we've got Spellbound going head-to-head with Strange World, the new Walt Disney Animation Studios film. Oh, no. Oh, my God. With a score by Alan Menken. Yes. Oh, oh, you just tripped over the biggest story of the show. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can't top that, folks. Okay. <laughs> you know, a John Lasseter directed movie with the score by Alan Menken, and it's going head to head with Strange World. Oh, wow. There's an extra little Christmas present under the tree there for you folks. Right. Speaking of extra uh, Christmas present under the tree, please tell me that Light the Fuse has, has something fun for the tail end of the year here because you've been doing such great work with your series on the Ghost, Ghost Protocol shows. Yeah, we just did our Ghost Protocol watch along, which was a lot of fun. I think we're doing our Christmas treat for people is that we're packaging all of our Brad Bird episodes, which spanned, I think, almost two hours and over three episodes into a single super episode. So please, everyone, have Christmas with Brad Bird this year. 
uh, on us. That is my goal. You literally just made Nancy's Christmas. All right. <laughs> Nancy loves Brad Bird. In fact, you know, I have often said that if I were hit by a car and Brad is on the sidewalk on the other side, Nancy would step over my soon-to-be corpse to get to Brad Bird. She <laughs> he, she loves him that much. He is a wonderful guy. I wouldn't step over your corpse, but I would wave hello before rushing to your aid. <laughs> There you go. There we but go. no, yeah, it's a great interview if you haven't heard it. We talked to Teddy Newton recently, which people should listen to. Obviously, he is mm-hmm. a Pixar and Iron Giant legend, and he's working with Brad Bird on something. He wouldn't tell us what, of course, but um, yeah. We need wow. a Brad, a new Brad Bird movie. Good Lord, it's been too long. It has been too long. Yeah. It has been too long. All right. Can you tell folks how, how they can find you on social media? Yes. It's Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Nancy would like to remind you that, that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. And on Facebook, it's Jim Hill Media News. And that's going to do it for this week's show as well as 2021. Thank you so much. For sticking with Drew and I over the past year, and and as we just talked about, 2022, lots of, of, of fun stories headed your way, lots of, of great animation. So uh, stick with us, and we'll talk to you in the next year.